0: All right, this morning we are going to probably spend the day, this morning, if everything works out, this evening, all on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I wanted to get back to Jude and start Romans 10. I didn't know how everything was going to work out this morning with the sound system, so I, had a, I, was, I didn't want to... <clears throat> I didn't want to come in, try to start Romans 10, and then I'll oh, have to go redo it again from the from, from the house. I didn't want to try to pr- pr- move forward in Jude. So I, I had some of that ready to go, but I, I, I definitely, are, I'm running out of time in our Bible study exercise on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. This is, I think, part, let me see, what part are we on? Part 11, I believe. Yes, this is part 11. Um, so we've been working on it now for a while. We have, I think about a week, maybe a week left. The way the curriculum works is they do a special focus, obviously for Independence Day, which obviously I'm not going to do. Um, and then I think they do one more lesson on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and then when they'll move on. So that gives us about two weeks to try to finish this up and we've got a long ways to go. So, um, for those who are working on, for uh, those listening online, working on the topical method, uh... You'll probably need to start wrapping that up in the next two weeks to try to finish that because that's a big undertaking, uh, doing a topical method on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But what we've done so far, and and I've mentioned this in other podcasts on this, is what's kind of frustrating is when you start talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, I feel you have to spend more time trying to talk about what the Holy Spirit isn't doing Because of all the fraudulent teaching that is so prevalent in the evangelical church when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is mentioned a lot by Christians and they're always claiming that the Holy Spirit is doing something that in my estimation, one, there's no proof that it's occurring, and two, if it is happening, well, you should be able to well, demonstrate it. Because I I was going to use an illustration, I've talked about the illustration on, online, is um, I was going to bring up here like a a thing of sugar, right, and just pour out sugar all over the floor, right, and then have one person try to pick up that sugar with their bare hands. Okay, probably never going to be accomplished, right? Never, okay? And then I was going to give another person a vacuum cleaner, and it would be taken care of what? Just like that. Why? Because one has a power to do something. Well, that's how Christianity sells the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, is that when you get the Holy Spirit, you have a power that other people don't. Other people are on the floor trying to pick up sugar with their bare hands, but we as Christians, we as the church... We have power that they don't. That's the claim. It's, it's talked about over and over and over and over and over. The only problem is we, got, we have 2,000 years of history, do we not? 2,000 years of church history, do we not? And out of that 2,000 years of church history, is it something that, where the whole world goes, man, those people have power? Man, they don't sin, they don't lie, they don't gossip, they don't slander. They love their enemy. They turn the other cheek. They forgive. I mean, they 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 have the greatest marriages. They have the the churches never split. I mean, if you need to see people who can do things we can't do, you go to your local church because they have something that we don't. They have a power. Now, charismatics strongly believe in that concept, and they believe that that's the way you evangelize. Is you got to show the world the power. So they they claim to be healing people or claiming to be given revelation. And I, I wish it was that way. I, I really do wish that when I became a Christian, I had a power. But I found out that I, man, I still struggled with so all kinds of issues. And I'm assuming everyone here probably, I mean, you can claim all day to have all the power you want. But I bet you the reality is you, your power is not as great as you think that it is. And that, that's, I'm just... I, whenever I say this, I, people get so mad at me, but I just don't I just don't know why we're so delusional and thinking we possess some supernatural power, which can't be operating the way we claim. So I've had to spend most of this time saying, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do this. And then, then people argue, no, it does, it does, it does. And then I'm saying, well, if it does, don't argue with me. Prove it. Show it. Prove it. I want I want I want unfiltered, uncensored access to all of your life. Nobody's willing to do that. Because guess what you're going to see? Sinners. Right? And even if you could, even if you were to clean up the outside of your life for a 14 day trial, I want to know what's going on inside of you, what's going on inside of your mind, because the Holy Spirit should have that all fixed too, right? We all know that we would. Nobody wants their life placed up on a screen for fourteen days. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. If you've got the power, then you should. So we've talked a lot about the the word dunamis, which is the word used for power in Acts. And what did we discover about that word? If you remember correctly, yeah, in Acts, the word that's translated power, it's not always translated power. It is it. it is a word that all, almost in every single case in Acts refers to miracles, signs, and wonders. Now, why is that important? Because we can clearly demonstrate that's not happening, right? Okay, if that power is operational today, well, y'all wouldn't even have a job. Right, Y'all would just go around to houses and just walk in and heal people. You wouldn't be there caring for them as they slowly die, and you wouldn't watch all of your clients ultimately die, right? Because that's what happens to all of your clients. Your job is to give them the most compassionate care to, to as they end their life. But you, you, would, you would be out of a job. But it, it doesn't... So clearly that power is not operational. Now, why is that important? Well, if the the Holy Spirit in this, this, this word power is used to refer to these miraculous working signs, we know those signs aren't working. Demonstrating that maybe when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to understand maybe how it's working at specific times for specific purposes. I don't think even charismatics don't claim to run around and have the power of Samson. Right? Okay. Well, that was, how did he have that power? The Spirit came upon him. He's not doing the same thing today. So clearly we can say, in Samson's case, it was a power used in a specific way for a specific period of time. The power that was operational in the uh, apostolic church clearly is not operating today. So we have to draw a distinction. So here's some of the things we've talked about. We talked about the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Everybody, re- does, uh, if you don't remember, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, and we broke it down into three parts. We'll call the common or general conviction work of the Spirit. That kind of happens in the world, right? That there's a convicting work the Spirit is doing in the world. We talked about the convicting work of the Spirit in salvation, where the Spirit convicts you and makes you realize you are a sinner and you need Christ. And then we talked the possible convicting work of the Spirit after salvation. Exactly how it works after salvation. It's hard to be dogmatic but well, we do believe. Because you've known Christians. Look, I've known Christians. You've known Christians. You probably have said something like, Well, the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted me of that yet. Well, then the, what does that mean? Like, so it's not a sin? Or does or, or, or the Holy Spirit convicting work not working? I, I don't even know what that means when Christians say that. I don't even know what that means. So there's a lot of questions about that. But we can understand the first two. Then we talked about the Holy Spirit supposedly leading us into all truth, revealing truth, or illuminating our minds to truth, which is a common teaching in the evangelical world, right? The Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. Now, clearly, that's not happening today. Everyone agree? Okay. If you, if you, if you disagree, then I'm just going to open the Bible and I'm going to give you a passage of scripture and I'm going to say you interpret it and you figure it out because the Holy Spirit leads you into all truth. Clearly, He's not doing that for me. And then we'll just listen to your interpretation because clearly it would be infallible because it comes from God. And it, clearly it doesn't work. We, we mean it doesn't work. So here's what I believe about the illuminating, revealing work of the Spirit. It worked in the Old Testament, right? prior to, obviously, a completed canon, gave, God spoke in specific ways, right? Sometimes audibly, sometimes through visions, sometimes through dreams, and he spoke directly to these individuals, and in this work of God revealing and speaking to them, what was the ultimate goal in all of that? What was the ultimate goal in all of that revealing and illuminating in the Old Testament? Okay, ultimately the goal was to provide the Old Testament, the inspiration of Scripture, right? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for the instruction, uh, you know, for that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished and all good work, right? That it's, it's, it's ultimately to get us the, the Old Testament. And the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is still revealing, illuminating, and leading. What was the goal, what was the point of that period of time? The completion of the New Testament. So I believe the revealing and illuminating work of the Spirit was for ultimately the inspiration of Scripture and the producing of Scripture and for the church's ability and the people of God to move and operate and to have revelation prior to the completion of of the Scriptures. Once the Scriptures are closed, what do I believe about the Spirit leading us into all truth? Not happening. If it was happening, we've had... 2,000 years of church history, where should we be? We should be in agreement. Okay, there's no agreement. There would be one church and there would be agreement. There's no agreement. So clearly the Holy Spirit's not leading us into all truth. Everybody got that? All right. So I, I don't believe he's leading us into all truth. I don't believe, I know Christians, you'll hear Christians say this all the time. Well, he's not giving revelation, but he's giving illumination. I was taught that in almost every Bible college and seminary I attended. The same concept. I don't believe that as well. Because if that is true, what are you claiming again? Hey guys, what do we do with this verse? And I just sit here and wait. And what almost always happens? Either silence or what? Disagrees. Disagrees. Uh, There's disagreement. And I'm like, wait a minute. If the Holy Spirit's illuminating you and the Holy Spirit's illuminating me, we should agree. So why is there why is it isn't there agreement? Because the Holy Spirit's not illuminating us. Right? Now all of that is extremely controversial, I know. But that, I just want you to remember, those are the things I'm saying the Holy Spirit doesn't do. So we're, we're going to continue to do some work on this. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to one of the books I used in one of the seminaries I attended. And today, for the remainder of this time and all the next hour, this is what we're going to work on. Everybody ready? The various ministries of the Holy Spirit... The various ministries of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to go with what they give us. Does Does that mean we're going to agree with it? Maybe, maybe not. But we want to hear, I'm trying to, during this whole Bible study exercise on the Holy Spirit, I've tried to give all kinds of different perspectives. I've tried everyone to hear the different perspectives. So that's why we've used a little bit of Grudem. We've used Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. We've got the curriculum. And pretty much all of them I disagree with at some point because they all claim the Spirit is doing things that I just don't believe He's doing. I mean, I wish He was, but they, I just don't believe it's the case. So let's see what they do here, all right? You're ready? The various ministries of the Holy Spirit. They have 11 11. Okay. All right. Everybody ready? I could just give you all 11, but I won't do that for time's sake. Here we go. What do you think they're going to focus on as his first ministry? What do you think? No, they're going to start way before that. Okay. That's, that's going the right direction. The, the, the first ministry is his ministry concerning the universe. The ministry of the Holy Spirit concerning the universe. Now we're gonna look at their their proof text and we can see whether we agree or disagree. So everybody has the Bible ready to go? Alright, here we go. Go to Psalm nineteen one. Book of Psalms, Psalm nineteen, verse one. I don't know if this is super helpful. Psalm 191. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Now, that doesn't mention the Holy Spirit. Why do you think they're giving us that verse? They want to demonstrate that who is responsible for creating in the universe? God. Alright, so so they're establishing the fact that God is obviously involved, it's his handiwork. All all of the universe, all of creation is God's, okay? That that doesn't mention the Holy Spirit. Let's see how they get there. Then they they go to John chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. What do you read in John chapter 1, verses 3 through 4? All things were made... By him, and without him was not anything made that was made in him uh, and, and was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men." John chapter one, verses three through four. Okay, what is significant about that verse? Well, now it attributes creation to whom? The Son right son right so you could say psalm 19:1 would be speaking of the father John 1 is speaking of the son so that means the father and son are involved in creation now that still gets us we're still a long way from what the holy spirit so this is what they this is what they write finally in other passages the holy spirit is said to have performed the initial act of creation What are we to believe? The answer is, of course, that all three persons in the Trinity had a part. As an illustration, let us consider an important executive who determines to build a spacious and expensive home. He thus employs an architect to design the necessary plans for this home. The architect, thereupon, secures a competent contractor to follow his blueprints. In this illustration, the executive is the father, the architect is the son, and the contractor is the Holy Spirit. The following verses then refer to the work of the divine, as they call it, contractor. I don't like that. The divine, the, the divine person of the Holy Spirit. All right. That's how we'll say this. They're going to give verses now that talk about the Holy Spirit, but they want to demonstrate that the father and the son are involved in creation. And now they want to demonstrate that the Holy Spirit is as well. So therefore he has part one of his various ministries is dealing with the universe. Are you ready for these scriptures? You can tell me whether you agree or disagree Go to Psalm 104.30. Psalm 104.30. What do you find? Thou sendest forth thy spirit. Now, some uh now this this is where sometimes people get into arguments right because the word spirit uh, how what how many different translations do we have present here got n i v okay we got king james in the king james is spirit capitalized no in the n i v is it capitalized yes see <laughs> All right uh you see in the bible i have here one oh four that's one oh four thirty Uh, Now, this is how this one reads. Are you ready? When you send your breath, they are created, and you renew the surface of the ground. Now, why would it say breath? Look up the Hebrew word. Let's look up the Hebrew word in the Blue Letter Bible app and tell me what you find. Alright, if you have the blue letter Bible app, we just have to at least deal with this. Alright, that's Psalm 104, right? Okay. Book of Psalms. If I can find the book of Psalms, let's see here. Book of Psalms. That's chapter one hundred four, verse thirty. I'm gonna open up the interlinear. Yeah, see there you go. It's this. It's uh, this Hebrew word. You probably know this Hebrew word, right? Strong's H seventy three oh seven, ruach, ruach, uh, ruach. All right, and it is used how many times? Three hundred and seventy eight times. It is translated spirit or spirit two hundred thirty two times. Please note. Sometimes with the capital S, and sometimes with lowercase, right? Ninety-two times wind, 27 times breath, six times side, five times mind, four times blast, two times vein, one times air, one times anger, one time cool and one times courage. Oh, that drives me absolutely crazy, OK? You know why, You know why that's always so frustrating when a word is used that, that many times in that many different ways? Oh, people can de- argue all day. No, 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 that's the word, that's the word. That's the- no, 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 no. Now, what's Strong's definition for it? Wind. Breath. Yep. You see this? So, but uh, for the, first, the first ruach, according to Strong's definition, its first, de- its first way of defining it is what? Wind. By resemblance, breath. I mean, that's that's just, what do you do with that? If you look at the outline of biblical usage, you see how long that is? What does it start with? Wind, breath, mind, spirit. Breath, wind of heaven, a quarter of wind, side, breath of air, air, gas, vein, empty thing, spirit. As that which breathes quickly and animation or agitation, spirit, animation, uh, vivacity, vigor, courage, temper. um, And you can just go through all of it. I mean, so many different ways that it's used. Makes it very, I I hate that because I like to be dogmatic. I don't, wouldn't you prefer to be dogmatic? So go back to Psalm 104. All right. Back to Psalm 104, It's verse 30, right? Okay, I've got to open up my Bible back to it. Look at the verse before and the, look, the verse after, see if we get any possible hints or clues of what may be the right way to understand it. Do you see any hints or clues of, or anything that would help? Okay. Oh, Okay, same Hebrew word, Yeah. Yeah. same Hebrew word, right, that's interesting, right. So verse 29, thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. So who hides his face? Who do you think that's referring to? God. God hides his face, they are troubled. Thou, God, taketh away their breath, they die, and return to their dust. Okay, so this breath is referring to like, the life of a, of a person. Now, you could say, well, it could refer to spirit or it could just refer to the fact that they're no longer breathing and if they're no longer breathing, they are dead. In other words, a lot of ways of you could try to work that. And then all of a sudden, though, no. but in contrast, thou sendest forth thy spirit or thy breath, they are created and thou renewest the face of the earth. So the, the, it's, what's, what's the contrast here in those two verses? Life and death, right? Life and death. Okay? God takes away breath, or you could say takes away their spirit. God gives his breath, or gives his spirit, and gives life. So you, you could just go with breath, or you could go with spirit. I don't know if we can be dogmatic that that's the Holy Spirit. So I don't like, I don't like using this one. Right? I, agreed, or what do you think? Do, do, y'all, do y'all feel like, uh, I'm not so sure about this one? Yeah, I'm going to say we're not going to go with this one. All right? We do know this. Who's involved in giving life or who's involved in creating? God. There's no question about that. We can clearly establish that. All right? How about Job 26.13? Oh, boy. Job 26.13. Now, whenever you turn to Job, okay, whenever, whenever you listen to a sermon, or a Christian podcast, or read in a Christian book, and someone quotes from Job, what should should be the immediate red flag that comes to your mind? Who's speaking? Why is that important in Job? There we go. A good portion of Job is made up of speeches by friends who do not understand things correctly and say things that are not accurate. You can't grab something from a speech by friends who are giving inaccurate information and build a doctrine on it, support a doctrine, prove a doctrine, or I would say what's even more frustrating... Preach sermons from it as almost like you're exegeting it. It is crazy. We, uh, Our church in Nebraska, the pastor went verse by verse through the book of Job. By the middle of that, I was about ready to start drinking. Because I'm like, what in the world is going on here? Because he would just take one little phrase that one of the friends said and just start preaching something. I'm like, that has nothing to do. No. Okay. I don't know how you preach these speeches other than this is what you do. You take the speech. And you summarize the speech, saying, "Here's what he's claiming." You don't go verse by verse trying to break them down because they're giving fraudulent information or wrong information or a misunderstanding at times. And you say, "Well, sometimes they say something is true." Well, according to whom? You? So yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of that. So what, when we go to Job here, the first thing I'm your first task. When I give you, I'm going to give you the chapter, Job 26. I need you to tell me who's speaking. Job, okay, that, that's at least somewhat better than his friends, right? But Job also said some things, right? Like, I wish I was never born. Okay? <laughs> I wish I was dead. Right? He also has some pretty words. So, so, Job 26, okay? What's Job doing in chapter 26? Okay, he's answering one of his friends, okay? And, he's, and, he's, and the answer starts in verse 1, okay? And then he starts building his argument, right? Before I give you the verse, I want you to look at verse, uh, look at verse 12. What does he say in verse 12? Okay, he's talking about God, right? And he's talking about God doing what? Okay, his power over the universe, possibly in creation. Would you agree? Okay, now what happens in verse 13? What does he say in verse 13? Okay, King James has it this way. By his spirit, capital S. Okay, do, do you have a capital S? Oh, so even in different... In, in, oh, oh, King James doesn't? Okay, in the book, they have a capital S, so I don't know which translation they're using. I thought they were using King James, okay, because it was a King James-only school, so I don't know why they, okay, <laughs> let's make, I'm going to look at every King James and make sure, okay, I got multiple ones here, let's just look, because sometimes you'll see this different editions, uh, that's uh, Job 26.13, right, okay, let's let's just look here, 26.13, I'm um, in 27. I was like, that makes no sense. Okay, no capital. Okay, yeah, I knew. Yeah, NIV is going to go with breath again, right? Okay. Yeah, I know. I know, but see, this this can drive you crazy, trying to figure this out. All right, 26. No. Okay, the ESV has by his wind. Okay. Uh, so, I, I don't know what they're trying... I thought they were supposed to be using the King James, but in the book, they have it capitalized. Okay? But in these two King James versions, they don't. And yours... So... What? what this, this becomes important. Why is this important? If you capitalize it, what does that typically indicate? You typically would say, that's referring to the person of the Holy Spirit. Yes? Okay. Well, if you don't capitalize it, what does that possibly indicate? A spirit, the capitalized seems to be referring to the spirit, right? So I'm not saying that this is a dogmatic rule in every case. I just I just want us to see, like, once again, a Christian book, and what can I not do with a Christian book? Never trust a Christian book. Never trust a Christian book. Never trust a Christian book, okay? I hate to say that. You can't trust them, okay? You have to go verify, 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 verify. Because they have by His Spirit, capital S, He hath garnished the heavens, His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. All right? Now, this is placing God involved. Now, I wish, don't you wish it would say, by the Holy Spirit. Don't you wish you would just say Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit? Because then there would be no argument here. There would be no argument. There would be no problem. But what's the main focus here in this verse? It's not necessarily trying to give us a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. What's it trying to establish? God's power over the universe. Agreed? All right. Go to Job 33.4. 33, 4. What do you do first? No, what do you look at for first? Who's talking? Oh, so now we have one of Job's friends talking. Uh-oh. All right. So already now we're, we got, we got a question mark here. Don't you agree? All right. All right. What is, uh, is it Elihu? Okay. What does Elihu say in verse 4? The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. All right, what do all the translations do with the word "spirit"? Oh, wow! Oh, King James doesn't. Oh, so now we got a difference, even. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. <laughs> okay. So th- that's interesting. We got okay, NIV uses the word spirit. ESV? Okay, wow. We, we have some agreement other than some difference in translation. Give me, I'm going to go to a, uh, this Bible. That's, what, that's Job 33.4. 33.4. 33.4. I'm going to look in this one. Job 33.4. And what do we find? The Spirit of God, capital S. Has made me. So, a lot of most translations here go with the idea that, that is using the word spirit, most capitalize it. But again, what's the problem here? It's Elihu. So, do we want to use that to establish some doctrine of the Holy Spirit's involvement with the universe? I would be hesitant. Agreed? All right, so we're, run, we're running out of options here, right? We're running out of options. So, where, where, do, you, where do you think we're going to go next? Okay, Genesis. And where do you think you would go in Genesis? Chapter 1. Okay. What verse? Okay, what verse is that? Verse 2. All right. Genesis 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And verse 2 says, All right, the Spirit of God moves. So here, God, it, it's almost like God did creating, and then the Spirit comes in to fill in everything, right? That he's involved in it. Now, the only problem is there's much dispute here, again, about how this should be translated. So, do all Bibles have the word Spirit in Genesis 1-2? Capital S. Okay, that's, that's important. let us I'm going to look at this one. This one has spirit, capital S. So that well, at least we're getting to some kind of unity. Well, what's weird is here in the, in the book that we used in, se- in seminary, look, it says this. It has been suggested that the Hebrew word here translated, oh no, moved, never mind. They don't focus on spirit. They go after the word moved and they do a whole different thing with it. Okay, that's, that's not, I'm not, not worried about that. So this would probably be the best option. Now, is it the same Hebrew word? Same Hebrew word though, see? So, just remember, there are a lot of ways you can handle it, right? In other words, it could be, it would be allowed to translate it what way? Wind or breath. It would be fair to translate it that way. It would be fair. You, you couldn't say you couldn't translate it that way, right? So, those are the verses they give. Can anyone think of any other verse anywhere that would maybe be very helpful in establishing the Holy Spirit's role or His ministry concerning the universe? Okay, well, and, and Genesis talks about that. I mean, he said, let there be light, and there was light, right? Anything about the Spirit being involved, if you can think of anything. Well, that, you're going back to the Word of God. Well, we're trying to determine the Holy Spirit's ministry in creation. Put it this way. This is the best. Th- those are the best they came up with. And then that's it. I mean, they're done. They immediately move on to the next thing. Now, I don't think anyone has a problem believing God has created everything, obviously, right? I mean, that's that's basic Christianity. I don't believe we have any problem saying Jesus was involved in it because, well, John makes it absolutely abundantly clear that without him, nothing was made. And I, I think we... We could argue that by a logical implication, the spirit would be involved as well, since you, all the Trinity you think would be involved. Genesis 1-2 gives us at least a, a decent argument. Some of those others, maybe uh, somewhat, you just wish you had something a little bit more what? Car- I, you wish that you would have a word that says what? Not spirit, but Holy Spirit, right? Holy God, you would want them to use the, like the actual title there. Just Spirit can be u- translated so many different ways that you, people could kind of make an argument. But we'll just say this. The Holy Spirit, I think, biological implication, since He's the third person of the Trinity, all of the Trinity was involved in creation. And so the Holy Spirit was involved in the creating in some capacity. Exactly what we do with these verses will be argued for the next 2,000 years. Okay. But does that, does that you do you like, well, that fixes everything. Okay, I don't know if it fixes anything. But we have no problem with that because that's the Holy Spirit's work. Now, you could ask, what is the Holy Spirit's job in creation at the moment? Yeah, right now. Because we don't have an issue when we talk about the Holy Spirit doing things in the past that he's not doing now. Creating is not happening. Does the Bible talk about God sustaining or holding up creation? Okay, well, see if you can find it. He upholds all things, sustains all things. Ooh, okay, okay, there you go. I think Colossians... If you find one verse that says it, you may then do some cross referencing and see if you find any others. Colossians may be a good bet, but I don't know if it's going to be the, the Holy Spirit that we're going to find is being given credit for that. But I think you're probably right. But here, see if you can find it. Who can find it first? Are you in Colossians? Okay. Do we have any specific thing here? So it's going to be Christ, yeah. So. Oh, holds all things together. What verse is that? Yep. So, well, if you look at verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every, crea- of every creature. For by him are all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether they are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist, or how does the NIV uh, translate verse 17? He is all things all together, but that gives it to, to Christ, right? That right. gives it to Christ. And again, the, the, I, don't you wish you had verses that were j- that explicit about the Holy Spirit's role in the universe? I wish we had something that explicit. We just don't. And it's okay that we don't. I, I, I just think about logical implication. We will agree that the Holy Spirit was active somehow because he is third person of the Trinity in the work of creation. How he's involved in creation today? Well, we know Christ upholds all things together. Is the Holy Spirit involved in that? You could argue all three members of the Trinity are involved in some way. Agreed? All right. So there's the various... That's the uh, the ministry concerning the universe. That's number one. All right, number two. You ready for the second ministry? What do you think the second one is? Scripture. His ministry involving scripture. His ministry involving Scripture, or his ministry concerning the Scriptures, however you would like to write it. In a word, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Word of God. He has furthermore chosen three basic methods in the preparation and reception of the divine manuscript. These steps of the Spirit are. Three. Are you ready? Here are the three steps supposedly that the Holy Spirit takes uh, in regards to the preparation and reception of the divine manuscript or the or the Bible. Alright, here we go. What do you think the first one is? You should know these three because it's taught in every church on the face of the earth for two thousand years. It's almost like it's I think every Christian when they're saved, you get this tattoo on you. Okay? Everyone probably has this tattoo on their body and they don't even realize it, okay? Are you ready? Revelation, inspiration, illumination. This is in every book that's ever been written about this. Any, uh, it's in everything. That's the third one. You got revelation, inspiration, Illumination. this is like this is like christianity 101 this is like children's sunday school all right here we go revelation that is the process whereby the holy spirit spoke to the 40 human writers of the bible the message he wanted them to transmit all right revelation is just god doing what Revealing things to people. Now, he revealed, he, God, things were revealed to people in many different ways, but in this particular case, they're connecting it directly to the scriptures. It was God revealing to the authors of the Bible what he wanted and what was going to be said. Right? Revelation. God revealing something. The, and typically, we, we, in theology, we would say something like this. Revelation is God revealing that which would not be would be un we would be unable to know without that revealing taking place. God has to reveal it or we wouldn't know it. We wouldn't understand it. Right? That's revelation. And what do we believe about revelation? Yeah, okay. I want to make sure everyone in this church knows we believe revelation is ceased and I believe any church who says it's not is apostate and no one should be a member of. That to me is a deal breaker. If I walk into a church and they believe God is still giving revelation, you should get up and leave. And sad to say, that's probably a most evangelical churches. Even though they may claim on their doctrinal statement that they believe revelation has ceased, guess what they will say from the pulpit over and over and over again? God told me this, and I didn't know what to do. And I was having a fight with my wife, and I was in the other room. And all of a sudden, God said, "Hey, you go back in there and apologize." And I'm like, "Well, clearly that couldn't be God because she was the one who was wrong." Okay, but that's that's the idea. They they constantly give you God told me this and God told me that. God, that's giving revelation because God supposedly tells them something that they didn't know prior to Him telling them that. If, I, I'm telling you, if you why why would I be so dogmatic that if your church believes revelation is continuing, you need to leave the church? Why would I be so dogmatic about that? Because guess what, you've just done to this book. You've destroyed. Why why do you need it? Right? Why come here and we spend hours trying to figure out? Wait, what's that Hebrew word for spirit? Wait, is it capital? Is it not? What? Why do all of that? We would just sit here and do what? Just. God. I mean, you wouldn't even need to come here. God's already speaking to you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What am I going to tell you? You've got God talking directly to you. And if God's talking directly to me, let's just forget the church. You're at home. God's talking to you. God's talking to me. And if God's talking to all of us, shouldn't we all be in a agreement? Isn't it amazing that God, when God supposedly talks to people, it's always sometimes the most meaningless information? I mean, if God's talking to everyone, could He just give us the cure for cancer for crying out loud? Right? I mean, couldn't He? Couldn't He give us some good information? But it's always like, oh, oh, I'm supposed to move here, or I'm supposed to buy that car, or I'm supposed to buy that house, or I'm supposed to marry that person, and then they end up getting a divorce anyway. So I don't know. Well, the whole it just seems so ridiculous. But that's that's the, 90% of the evangelical world, they would claim, no, we don't believe God has given revelation. There's nothing that drives me c- crazy is to hear someone say, I don't believe God has given revelation, and then 15 seconds later say, God told me. Do you not hear yourself? If God told you, that would be revelation. <laughs> right? is, is, that, is, that, am, is, is that complicated? Is that complicated? Now, I do believe God gave revelation. Yes? And where is that revelation contained? Right there in the scriptures. And once the scriptures were complete, revelation ceased. When the scriptures were complete, revelation ceased. Before that, God gave revelation. And we can count all the different ways he gave revelation, right? Right? Audible voice, some kind of inner voice, dreams, visions, correct? But no, that revelation is over. Okay, I, I, I hope that I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. Okay, so there's revelation. What's the second one? Inspiration, that process whereby the Holy Spirit guided the pen of those writers so that they wrote the message, that the message they wrote down would be accurately recorded. So God is giving revelation, right? He's given revelation, but he didn't just give revelation. Then he guided those men who received revelation to do what? To write it down. And the argument is that that inspiration is what? What are some words we use to describe the finished product of inspiration? Infallible, right? Infallible. What's another word we use? Inerrant, right? And another word we use, what's another one? Okay, we're going we're gonna to start a new a course here at Victory Baptist Church called Doctrine 101, okay? We, we call it the verbal, sometimes the word plenary is used, and infallible, and, and errant. All of that to describe that that inspiration is trustworthy, it's true, it's, it's dogmatic, it's authoritative. And that every word, not just the concepts, every, that's verbal inspiration, Verbal inspiration is different than the inspiration that says just the concepts are inspired, but not the words. I mean, remember, we've, we've talked all about all of this, right? Okay. So uh, th- that this is very important. So the, first, so the Holy Spirit's involved in the revelation. The Holy Spirit is involved in the inspiration. But guess what that third word they used? Illumination. I think the very first time, The very first time I heard these three concepts tied was by Chuck Swindoll, way back when I was a teenager. It's the first time I ever, I probably have the notebook somewhere where I wrote them down for the first time, right? And he said the exact same thing, right? Now, he didn't really focus so much on the Holy Spirit, but he's like, revelation, inspiration, and illumination. And so I'm like, okay, all right. I got I understand revelation, I understand inspiration, but now illumination. Oh right. Now I thought that was cool because now, oh, okay. God's gonna give me illumination. Now no wonder I'm smarter than everyone else, okay? Now now I now I have now I have biblical justification to know why I'm smarter than everyone else, right? It's not ego, it's not pride, it's God. Well, let's see how they define illumination. Are you ready? How do you think they define it? Illumination. The process whereby the Holy Spirit takes the written word when it is preached and read and enlightened those human ears who will hear it. That's how they define it. That's kind of vague, right? That's kind of vague because in one sense, guess what happens when you read or hear anything taught? Well, in, in relation to illumination. Forget the Bible, forget God. If I come up here and we talked about Paradise Lost by Milton, right? And we worked through the book. I hope that by the time we finish through, through it, Right? You would be, remember how he described it? You would gain understanding, yes? That's how they're describing illumination. I don't know why the the Holy Spirit does that. That happens when you learn anything. I hope it does, right? When you read anything. When you hear anything taught. So I I don't know like how that, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. I heard preaching and I understood. What? Like, I, 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 you see, I get a little nervous here, right? I get a little nervous because this is true of any book, of any subject that's ever been taught. You hear it, you gain understanding. So that's not super helpful, is it? I, I don't think that's helpful. Right? How, what, what are some other ways people may describe Illumination. Okay, all right, so it goes beyond just a normal understanding. Now you're granted some kind of spiritual insight. Now you go beyond just natural understanding because they would argue, because I've heard Christians even in this church try to make the argument no, 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 the non believers can't understand the Bible as good as believers. And whenever I hear that, I'm like, are you out of your mind? I've known lost people know the Bible far better than believers. I, believers say some of the most ridiculous things about Scripture. So, but that's, that's the idea that we have, we, God gives us an understanding. Now, if you take that, then I'd be like, look, you know, if, 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 if I'm discussing Scripture, right? And if I say Lydia is not saved and she comes to a different conclusion, well, well, your conclusion is wrong, Lydia, because I have the Holy Spirit and so I have illumination, so I know more than you. Now, we would never say it that way, but that's what we're claiming. Well, if that's true, then why are Christians so horrible at understanding the Bible? I mean, horrible. Just look at, listen to preaching, read commentaries, and sometimes you're just like, what is this? It's just insane. How does that happen? So, we're going to have to spend more time on elimination, and we'll do that in the next hour, right? We'll stop there. So, according, what are the various ministries of the Holy Spirit that we've looked at so far today? Universe, Universe. and we're kind of like, well, okay, he's he's third person of the Trinity, so it makes sense, but we don't have anything dogmatic. Number two, scriptures, and what have we seen so far? What's the two that we can't agree with? Revelation, and inspiration. All right. Now we need some scripture to define his role in revelation and inspiration. And then the third that I put a big question mark is what? Illumination. And we'll have to go and we'll work on that in the next hour. I hope that makes sense. All right. We'll stop there. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. This is a very important subject. Help us understand it. Help us uh, not misunderstand it. And Lord, just uh, help us be dedicated to seeing this study all the way through. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...